welcome, welcome. This is episode number 15 of the Footy Pod now. Wow, that's crazy. We're getting up there. Today's guest is Brandon Voss. Brandon is the founder of FC Link. FC Link is a partner and sponsor of Footy Factory and FF Premier. We've worked with them for quite some time now, and their main service offering is graphic design for soccer clubs and high school teams in the area to help build their social presence and 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 boost their brand awareness and they do a fantastic job with graphic design definitely the best in the business so if you're out there listening to this and need some help on that side of things this guy is your man so definitely give him a shout but he's probably more notable for his role as the head coach of arlington Bowie high school and uh, he's in charge of the boys varsity program there and he took that program over seven years ago as basically a a no-win program Uh, they were you know had not seen much success and the success that they had seen was very scattered so you know he had to go in there and and really change the culture and so he dives deep into you know the, the 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 steps that it took to kind of erase old bad habits and beliefs and instill a a winning mentality in the players and the team and 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 create you know a new culture for the program so uh, a lot of valuable information in it Um, unfortunately the audio is not very good in this episode we're having trouble recording remotely here so we're gonna have to find a new solution for that maybe do some instagram live podcasts here pretty soon i think that might be pretty cool but um you know so there's an a lot of overlap on on this on this episode a lot of pauses and and times where it sounds like we're talking over each other so just try to follow along as best as you can and I just hope that you guys still get something out of this episode. Brandon Voss, welcome to the show, sir. Hi, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, how's your How's your uh, quarantine going? Are you still able to stay busy with school and and uh, are you staying engaged with your players? Hey, well, I'm actually enjoying. Uh, quarantine. I've been practicing social distancing for quite some time. <laughs> this is a this is normal behavior for me, but uh, I've kept in good touch with the boys. I'm trying to kind of give them some space. It was tough because it seemed like every day I wanted to talk to them, I would tell them, "Hey, we're going back like next week," and then next week would change, and okay. then I would be told something, and then it changed, and then it changed, and it changed, and so it's I've kind of kept my distance <laughs> now, just because every time you hear something, it changes. Yeah, this so, is really, you know, weird time, obviously, and so getting all these guests on the show, I'm able to hear different perspectives and how they're kind of dealing with their situation, because everyone's situation is different. You and I have a business relationship, but um, you're also obviously very involved in the soccer community, being the head coach at Arlington Bowie, so, yep. um, you know, I know that you've you've been there for, this is your sixth year, correct? This is my seventh year. Seventh year, seventh year. Man, going strong. We're trying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I know that. Uh, so um, the reason we got to know each other is through FC Link, which, you know, I'll definitely give you time to talk about that and what you guys are doing. But um, I think that your story with Bowie is going to be one that 
is is uh, you know one that people want to hear and one that will provide some inspiration for uh, other schools and players that may be in a similar situation. But you know, you starting with them from a time where they weren't really winning many games and now you get to this season you guys win district and then everything gets shut down by the coronavirus how was that dealing with that when it when it first initially happened it's awful and i know that we were we obviously had one of the best seasons we've in program history and we did win our first district championship so it is it's very upsetting i know a couple of the boys have joked about being cursed but it's 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 fun to joke about, but I know that these seniors, I mean, you and I each had our senior years and we didn't have an issue. And these seniors, they're not going to, we didn't even get to have senior night. We, that was our last district game was going to be senior night. And so they won't even have senior night. They won't, I mean, as of right now, I know season is still postponed, but they have not had senior night. And if this gets worse and school continues to be closed, they won't even be able to finish out their senior year. So yeah. it, it's it's upsetting for them, and I know some of the juniors and sophomores are like, "Oh, we got next year," but these guys don't get to say that. So that's the toughest that's the toughest part out of all of this. You know, out of all the I guess specific groups of people in society, I think seniors in high school or college that play sports, or even if they didn't play sports, but just like being able to experience the final few months of their senior year, because there's a lot that goes on during that time. I think they got, you know, the the short end of the stick for sure out of out of most people. It just sucks that, you know, they couldn't experience that senior night for for you guys having that playoff run and getting a shot at a state title. Like they're never going to get that opportunity again. It, right. Yeah. It, it's right. Well, technically, technically the UIL has postponed uh, high school seasons till May 4th and governor Abbott has pushed school closings until May 4th. So theoretically we could still have a season in May. What would happen is they have an inclination period where you got a couple weeks to get all your players back in shape, get them back into school, get them back into routines. And you and I know there's going to be some of those kids who run a lot. And there's gonna be some kids who probably haven't ran in over a month. So you got to give them time to get back into shape so they don't get injured. And then, High school playoffs, roughly, if you made it to the state final, it's about four to five weeks, depending upon timing. So it would be most of May, maybe first week of July or so, but they have not come out with those specific dates. And so I don't know what will happen if they postpone it even more. Like if Governor Abbott pushes the schools towards mid-May or June or postpones indefinitely, then it would be done. But theoretically, there's still a chance, so our fingers are crossed that hopefully we'd be able to finish up something and have a good run. But uh, we just got to wait and see how the virus goes and how everything happens, flattening the curve. And I don't know. It's just a little different. Schools are, as we all know, schools and universities are areas where a lot of kids uh, get together. And, I mean, one kid gets sick and 15, and it's just a little different. Yeah, it's evolving every day, so no one really knows what's going to happen, but you got to stay positive and at least, you know, if the UIL has some plans in place to give these seniors a chance to finish out their season, then, you know, I guess even a uh a shortened version of it or maybe just one that wouldn't as 
efficient as the real thing. I mean, you're not going to be able to get these kids back to 100% fitness like in a couple weeks. You know, no. that's unrealistic. They're not going to be at their best. You know, so it could it could also be a situation where you guys maybe would have gone much further than uh, you would have in this situation where you have a month off of training. You're not able to stay with the team. Like, you know, anyone can really go and have a run in a tournament in that situation. It kind of leaves it up for grabs and doesn't really, uh, I guess, represent, you know, truly who the best team in the state would be. So it just kind of, I don't know. I mean, you, you if you had to pick between the two, between playing and not playing, obviously you want to play. But, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate all around. Yeah, I mean, it's depressing for them, but we'll see what happens. We've got a few more weeks here in April, and who knows? Maybe we'll get back at it and get a chance and certainly love to give these seniors another shot. Yeah, definitely crossing our fingers. Well, definitely want to get back to more of this. I want to hear more in depth the story uh, at Bowie and, and how you, you really, like, change the culture of the program because that's, you know, that's a job that you've done there and uh, definitely want to hear more about it. So we'll get back to that. Uh, but I want to hear about, you know, kind of your upbringing. I know that you were raised in Irving area. So you're, you know, you were involved in the Dallas soccer community um, what was your background growing up, you know, as, as playing experience? Well, so, uh, I grew up in Keller, so I was actually in Watauga uh-huh. and we went to Keller central. Oh. Uh, it's kind of pl- playing experience. Uh, one played club, obviously played for back when it was Texas lightning and then played for solar and then high school at Keller central, uh, Went and played at Incarnate Word in San Antonio and then transferred out and went to UT Tyler. Uh, and then I played for the reserve squad there. And then that's the history of my college career. So I, I'm not an all-American guy. I'm, I'm a mid, mid-sized, average-sized man. But I, I worked hard and competed in each of those programs and did my best. But that's my playing history. In terms of coaching, I actually got hired at Bowie right after I graduated college. So I graduated college in May of 2013, and then I got hired at Bowie uh, that following August. That's awesome. But I'll tell, I'll tell a little bit about it. It's kind of a funny story, but I, I try to tell people I, I don't really believe in luck. I believe if you prepare and do everything right, then good things happen to you, and it's not luck Absolutely. because you prepared for it. Definitely. But I, I graduated, and honestly – when you the education field, it's a little different when you're once you're in versus trying to get in, especially when you don't have any experience. They're very reluctant to hire brand new teachers, coaches. It's just a little bit different. They want somebody with experience just because they don't know if they could take that experiment on you. Mm-hmm. So what happened with me is I had applied for numerous jobs over the summer, started interviewing, didn't really get any that were in areas that I liked or I'd have to travel way somewhere outside of Texas and the guy I replaced, he actually left for a new job a week before school started. So he was up schools about to start like the next Monday. He left that following the previous Monday. And I had heard through some channels that this head coaching job was open. 
And I remember at that time thinking in my mind, just kind of casually was like, I don't think they would hire me as a head coach. I was expecting to be somebody's assistant for four or five years, get the experience and then be a head coach. But what happened was I heard that it was open. I sent an email to the athletic director and she emailed me right back within about 20 minutes and said, Hey, come in tomorrow for an interview. I showed up an interview and we spoke for a good 45 minutes to an hour. And she absolutely loved me and sent me down to the school to meet the principal and did a quick interview there and met the coordinator and got hired. Just on the spot like that, huh? Yes. Absolutely nailed it. Yep. So that just, I try to say it's for my good looks, but uh, I'd like to think my experience and preparation and everything I did up to that point, <laughs> which there's a lot I didn't say in this whole story. But um, whenever you put in the work and put in the experience, plan, prepare, and do everything right, then good things happen to you. Absolutely. Either way, you've got the job, and that's what matters. Exactly. So in college, what did you study? So I was a kinesiology major with uh, – it's a – with a teaching certification. So technically I was PE and then also social studies. Okay, so you were so you were planning to get into education. Okay. Yes. I I had known after my time as a high school soccer player and playing in college, the the experience of being a club coach and high school coach are two different things. Mm-hmm. They're very much they're very exciting in, in each of their own ways, but being able to play in front of a crowd or in front of a stadium is a different feeling than maybe going out to some club fields on the weekend and your mom and dad are sitting in their little pop-up chairs. It's just a little bit different. So, and I knew that uh, when I was a high school player, I absolutely loved my program. I loved the, you know, my friends, my teammates. And so it's, I was playing with guys that were, that I'd grown up with. So I'd known since fourth, fourth or fifth grade. So it's just a little different. Uh, dependent upon which team you play for in club, but it's just that environment is very much different. And so I knew that I wanted to get back into that. So your 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 intention was to get a job in education. You didn't know exactly what you wanted to teach, but you knew that you wanted to be a teacher and coach at the same time. Yeah, I knew I wanted to do social studies okay. in some form or fashion. It depends on what you get hired for. Got it. And you have, if you get a social studies composite, then you can teach any social studies class you want, assuming of what they need. And so I, I teach government now, so I have seniors, and I absolutely love it. Teaching government is, is the best class out of all of them. My government in teacher my in high school was a football coach, and we didn't do anything in that class. <laughs> Are you? It happens. Uh, if you're, uh, no, well, it depends. <laughs> and and there, I, jo- I joke. But if I'm in season, sometimes the classroom works a little different than when you're not in season. Sure. But with that said, I love to – if you've ever met kids that took my class, we, I love to debate. I prefer to debate more than anything. I think getting the kids talking and just talking about current events gets them excited. They may not memorize the Constitution, but at least you can get them thinking about current events and voting and getting prepared. So. That's the best. Part. Yeah, well, that's probably the way to do it because you're actually preparing them for the real world. You know, they don't need to know so yeah. much about like history. They need to know what's going on now. Yep. Cool. So, um, so with that said, I'll uh, I'll kind of go into detail. I know you kind of asked about kind of building the culture with the program. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it was this was actually probably one of the hardest things I'd been a part of to begin with. And I try to tell people that I had never been a part of a team. I'd never been a part of any type of group where in my mind you didn't have a set mindset of being the best and competing. And when I walked into this program, there was a lot of history behind it in terms of standards that the boys were setting, but then also the lack of standards set from the previous coach and from coaches before that. And I don't have every single one and I'm not trying to name anybody specific, but this program had been ran mostly by football coaches and they hadn't had a true soccer coach, I think since 2002. And so I, I think I was the first true soccer coach in roughly 11 or 12 so years. So it was always kind of a, and, a blow-off sport. Yeah. Yes. And there was no structure. There was no discipline. There were – when I walked in on the first day, I got a roster. There was 150 kids in soccer. And the reason there was 150 kids is because they never removed anybody. Anybody who just signed up got put in that class. And so – I had to go through 150 kids in a couple of months to try to get one team or three teams theoretically wow. set up. The varsity, and so, JV, and freshman team. Exactly. So, I, you know, I go into the equipment room, and there's not even, like, one full set of jerseys. There's 10 different types of jerseys because over the years, instead of bringing jerseys back or bringing items back, you usually just let them keep them so the kids would just go off with the jackets and the uniforms and so i come in and i'm not prepared to order a whole set of uniforms whole set of jackets because you know everything so i I walked into a brand new you know experience for you exactly so i in my mind it was funny that the ideas that were running through my head of what i was taking over was completely gone from the first couple days i went there (laughs) So I was envisioning like my college programs or the high school programs or these kinds of things that I was coming from. And I walk into a culture that I was, I was completely unprepared for by any means. I had never been a part of something like that. And so uh, to get to know these kids, you know, you think, you know, everybody and you think, you know, I don't know, people in your area. I mean, this is in Arlington. I grew up in Keller central, but they couldn't be any farther different. I know that a lot of these kids are the same in terms of some social norms, but I was not ready also per, on a personal level to understand the kids that I was getting. I had not been around a certain type of groups of kids or those kinds of things. I mean, I was coming straight from college when a college mentality of players is a whole different realm than high school yeah. boys. So, but what I did was I walked in and I realized my first year <clears> – <throat> I didn't, I didn't know any of the kids. I barely knew half the teams I was playing. I didn't even know those coaches. I walk into brand new. And I knew that I was – a lot of coaches talk about culture and they throw the word culture out. But in my mind, I walked in with this idea of what I wanted to create. But I also had to realize I walked into something I wasn't prepared for. So you can't always throw in everything you're thinking in terms of culture and just force it upon kids – that think completely different yeah, than you. Drip. Um, so exactly. So it's in my mind, I 
did not create a culture from day one. I created things a couple that first year, and then the second year you create a couple more, and then the, the next year then you create you have to yeah. add. This is a slow process, and it is not done overnight. And it speaks to volumes of how many years I put into this program and the players that came in, they see the small results, the small things matter. And that's where the, one of the first couple things I did outside of normal structure and playing and discipline and fitness and those kinds of things, those are the easy parts. Uh, something that I didn't realize it would kind of go into what it is now. But one thing I did was I told the players at first year, we created a creed, we created a team creed. And we all just sat in a locker room one day. And I said, I want you guys to come up with it. I just said, at the very end, I just want to, the last part I wanted to say is just Bowie never quits. And I'm not really remembering exactly how I came up with that, but I just remember it sounded really good, just saying Bowie never quits. And so for our creed, what I did was I'd put it on shirts. I'd put it on the wall in the locker room. We'd say it before every game in the locker room. It became a part of our normal game routine. And I know that over time, it really started to sink in with the boys. And I remember that first year, they were kind of reluctant because you have a lot of kids who are like, oh, yeah. this is dumb. I don't want to do this. And then over time, it has nobody questions it's it. Specific... And it's because. Sorry, is there a specific game or moment where you were just like, okay, things are starting to change? I mean, I could see the change between the first year and the second year. And for us, in terms of mentality, those first two to three years I was there, we didn't have very good seasons. And it wasn't because my kids were terrible. It just we lacked, in my mind, uh, cohesion and you know some immaturity and some other issues that I had to deal with. But it was that that third season was actually the game changer in my mind. And the reason is because we actually could have made playoffs my third year if we didn't lose four to five to grades. And what happened was, was those, those juniors remembered that. And then that fourth year, those juniors are now seniors. That was the first year we made it to the fourth round in playoffs. And that was the farthest our program had ever gone in history. That's a <laughs> so it was and it there's a lot to tell you, yeah, definitely, you know, and there's a lot to say in between there that I don't think you and I have time for oh, on this we, podcast, I, I but hear it was it. I want you to dig into I want you to dig into <laughs> like you know more more of the stuff you were talking about with with the creed that you put in place, like yeah, obviously at first, people are gonna be you know kind of you know reluctant towards it and not want to fully buy into it. But the more and more you just like do it and do it and do it, it becomes just part of, you know, you and, and everyone else it creates that togetherness within the team. And when you're trying to change a culture, that's like the first thing you have to do because nothing else is going to work until you have that part of it in place. Just the, the, the chemistry in the team and, you know, the, the team spirit in general. So, what else, like, after that kind of sunk in a little bit, what did you add next? So one big thing that I'm, I'm a believer in, and, and other coaches might disagree with me, but I, I firmly believe I could focus less on tactics 
and less on making sure my kids know 900 drills. But what I focus on is, are my boys ready to run through a wall? Like, are when every game we play, are they prepared to give everything? In those first couple of years, they weren't willing to give everything. And then those next couple of years, in my mind, it's kind of hard to explain, but I know that when you're around your soccer boys, there are coaches who are, their different personalities come out when it comes to high school boys. And in my mind, I have the personality to get these boys ready. And some of these boys who are those first couple of years, one of the first things that I had remembered and I was reading uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's, one of his books, and he talked about Which how one? in pregame, I actually can't remember the name off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I'd have to go look. But he talked about how the most important aspect before a game was the pregame speech from a coach. And he talked about how some of his pregame speeches before a game. But if you ever watched some of the video, he was not running up and down, jumping over lockers, screaming and going crazy. He just had good speeches that would get the players motivated to go. But for me, he's talking to guys who are in their 20s or maybe 30s or something along those lines. And I'm talking to 14 and 15-year-olds. So, exactly. So, what I started to do was before every game, when we talked about our creed, whenever we talked about what we wanted to do and set our game plan, is I always had some sort of motivational speech in some form or fashion. I know a lot of coaches might do this. But you have to have the right personality for it. And I'm, I can, in my mind, get a group of boys in mine motivated and fired up to be ready to go in the next game. And it's not every time. I can't be jumping off walls. But I know for a couple of years there, those first couple of years, I gave them as much passion as I possibly could. Because the kids will, will feed off of that. And I know that they did. So I think my personality and being able to... Co- connect with them being able to get them fired up for games and when you can get the kids ready to run through a wall for you then you've done your job yeah and that almost is kind of what high school soccer is about uh especially if you have a team that you know is the underdog like you you got to play a different way and and it's and it's typically a more you know intense aggressive like high pressing style of play in high school teams and so yeah, that, that passion is important. And like you said, the team talks are crucial, but um, you mentioned that it wasn't every time. And obviously there are certain moments where it's required and then there are certain moments where it's not. So did you feel like in the beginning it was required a lot more? So it's different from from my perspective when my first season, when I faced a team, it was, I'd come up with a, I usually come up with a statement each year in some form or fashion, some sort of motivational statement that's different from our normal creed and other things. And I know that for that first year I talked about, I told the boys, I said, let's make history as a program. And I didn't know what we would do. I didn't know our competition. I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, we just went into games and I was like, well, let's do really well. You know, in my mind, that's just what I was thinking. Let's go out and compete. Uh, for them, and I didn't realize this, but one of our biggest rivalries was is Bowie versus Sam. And we're about a mile apart from each other. There's a highway that separates us. And I remember we played them. And the year before us, 
Sam had gone like undefeated in the district, couple rounds of playoffs, and they were kind of what is the infamous Sam Houston. And I didn't know any better. I didn't know at all. I just go and I play, and we tied them, and we lost in penalties because in high school we have mm-hmm. we do a lot of PKs after a game. And I remember like boys were crying, like they were so upset that they had lost a game. And in my mind, I was like, "What? Like, why are y'all crying? Like this, yeah. like, this season's not over." It's not done yet. And what happened was for years, that game was kind of the, like the big game of the season. And that was it. It was like the guys would show up for that one just to play and work as hard as they could. And then the rest were just kind of like, ah, whatever. And it was tough to break that. But in my mind now, Every game we've gone into, we compete. And yeah, this, the big rivalry game against Sam is always big. And it's the same way on their side. But now if we go play Arlington, we go play Lamar, we go play whoever. It, it doesn't matter who we play. We go out and compete and, and we win. And that's just the mentality we've had. It's we go out and compete. That each game. mentality is tough to develop. Maybe, maybe, you know, in high school boys, it'd be a little bit easier, but I find that it's difficult for the boys that I work with now, my under 11 boys. So they're all, you know, 10 going on 11. Uh, Really good team, really technical, you know, smart. But that sense of, like, competitiveness is not quite there. And so I find myself having to, like, you know, find ways to motivate them before games to just get them to come out and play. You know, that's that's been a, a, a real challenge. Did you did you find that it was challenging with them or, or not really? I think it's changed over time. It's not I would say a whole team mentality is not related to that. I think when it comes down to these yeah. games, they are ready. It just kinda comes I've had some really... kids and I think this is more of a Right. And I think I've had some kids who are this is more of a generational thing. I think a lot of these kids nowadays mm-hmm. are not being taught to compete. Is why as coaches, we're putting on ourselves to teach these kids because literally they're going to compete in every aspect of their entire life. You're going to compete for the best grades. You're going to compete for the best job. You're going to compete for the best spouse. You're going to compete for everything. Everything. You want the best house? It's all competition every time, everywhere. And I think these kids have lacked that. Um, Now, I've had a couple kids who I remember after a game, we beat somebody pretty heavily, and they were like, oh, I feel bad. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like in my mind, that's just a couple of kids. I think yeah. it's just kind of a generational thing. But I was like, I've never walked after a game and said, oh, I feel never. bad. Like, no, I showed up to compete. They showed up to compete. They brought their best. I brought mine. Be and we beat them. Yeah, it's, be just, it's just a mentality. do anything less. You know, you, you want right. people going out there and playing to the best of their abilities. And if you're not, then what's the point in playing? Right. So... Moving through, you know, year three, uh, that's whenever you guys started picking up some momentum. Um, who were who were your biggest tests, like, besides Sam Houston? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, funny thing, that, that fourth year when we made it to the fourth round, what happened was in our district, Sam Houston got first in one okay. district, and we got second. But the weird thing about it, and I know this, it's funny to talk about, but we beat Sam in both games in district, but they still won because we ended up losing to like some other teams so you guys were that were one, not as good. Clearly and, one and two. Yeah, so <laughs> exactly. So we went to the fourth round, Sam Houston – made it all the way to the state final that year that 20 uh that fourth year of mine mm-hmm. that 2017 year so sam made it all the way to the state final and they lost to jesuit and they on their record they were like and don't quote me on the record exactly but they were like 23 and three one of their losses came from the state final loss against jesuit and the other so two losses came right from us in, like where so, the bar was and you knew you were pretty much at that standard that you needed to be to compete for titles. Yes. Man, that must have felt very encouraging for you, even though, you know, maybe you didn't go as far as you had hoped after that season. You must have, you must have just knew the next season, something special was going to happen. Right. And so it's, with this group of boys, I, there's things that happen every year that are really good, and there's some things that I, I don't know where it came from. And I, I think that's kind of high school kids in general. But for us to finally see some true success, it wasn't like Coach walked into the room and said, hey, guys, we're going to win here. We're going to go here. And then that didn't happen. It was I said we're going to go here, and it happened. So it's sometimes kids have to see success in order for future success. It's otherwise it's just a, this lofty goal you throw up there that if they don't reach it, then yeah, it seems like it's so far out of the of truth. Taste. Once they have so that taste and they know what they're after. Right. And so I try to do this mentality. I did it with this group and I've done it with previous groups. And I mean, in coaching, there's things you do right some years and some others you don't. But for me, a lot of kids will always joke, we're going to state coach, we're going to win state. And what happens is I always tell them, and we have to start short-term, long-term. We don't even talk about it. Yeah, you can joke, hey, we're going to state. But you can't get to state until you get through preseason. You can't even get to season until you get to preseason. And then scrimmages, all right? You don't get to scrimmages until you get through preseason. I mean, it's, it, it is a small-step process. And I try to get them to focus on the steps and not necessarily the final because the final comes – if you go through those steps mm, beforehand and you focus on it. And I know everything I'm saying is not groundbreaking, but it's if you tell these kids that every game is the biggest game of their life and that if you focus on the end game, then the short-term stuff doesn't happen. And in my mind, I heard this the other day, and I, I'm not quoting, I'm not saying I came up with it, but it was something like, if you tell an alcoholic that the disease they're dealing with is going to take the rest of their life to deal with. What do you think they're going to do? If you're going to say, Hey, this is going to take you 40 years and the rest of your life, 
what sounds easier than saying, hey, tomorrow we're going to stop? Or is it going to say, hey, this is going to take you 40 years? Which one do you oh, think is more successful? Right. So it's like with somebody who's about to battle something for the rest of their life, if you tell them that it's just going to handle last the rest of their life, then they're not going to handle it very well. But if you could say, hey, tomorrow we're going to cut it off or we're going to do this tomorrow. And then the day after that, we're going to do this. And the day after that, we're going to do this. And what happens is, is 40 years goes by of you focusing on the little things and then you have beaten the disease or you have beat that best team or you have done something. It is small steps that get you to the final. And then when you're there, it wasn't because you said, I'm going to make the final. It's because I said, I'm going to do the small steps to get there. So it's, it's just kind of a mentality to push into kids or even just adults of that mentality of when it'll come up on you when you do it right. You know, just focusing on, uh, the daily discipline and, and just staying consistent, you know, uh, don't, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when, when, you know, people have this, uh, vision of what they want. Right. And like you're saying, they, they get so focused on that vision and, you know, you could see the excitement, the enthusiasm in it, but then there's this just huge disappointment whenever they don't reach it because they forgot they actually had to do the work to get there you know and it sounds like you know that's kind of core to your coaching philosophy is just that instilling that uh mindset and that discipline into your players to where they just go in and and they just get a little bit better every day exactly something i've done recently too and i've talked with some other coaches about it just to see if i'm like am i off the deep end here or am i uh, but I know that from these past couple of years, I've noticed, and I don't know if other coaches do this, but I notice a lot of uh, people in this community in general, and I'm not saying people in our area, I'm just saying the soccer community in general. I feel like there's a lot of people who try to shove as much information into kids' brains as possible to think that they can teach them everything on the field. Like, I am going to have a new drill every day. I'm going to have a new something every day. And what I realized is when I tried something new too often, I I questioned myself as did they master this concept? You know, am I, if I teach them 400 drills in one year, how many of those drills do you think will they master? Let's just, and then I, I try to sit here and I'm like, if you had two options and I didn't come up with this, but it's like if you could read 50 books in a month or if you could choose to read the same book 50 times, which one well, would you choose? Yeah, I mean, you're right. That's 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 the whole point is is just instilling one new thing, you know, slowly drip feeding it to them like we were talking about with the culture. And that's how you learn. That's how you retain information. But if you're just bouncing around doing a bunch of things and you know, doing a, a new drill every every single day or running a brand new session every single day, then you're not going to have that uh, continuity. They're not going to be able to master anything that you actually want them to learn. So that's something that, you know, I've um, made a habit of the way that I construct my curriculums with my teams is, you know, we basically run four sessions throughout the year. There's four different sessions. Within those sessions, there's a little bit of a room for progression, 
you know what I mean? But we're focusing on four phases of the game, and so there's one session for each phase. And we just, we just like work it and work it and work it. And, and, you know, eventually the exercises that we're doing just become second nature. Now they're flying through these exercises. So you can use the same kind of exercises before games and it just gives them that confidence to go out there and perform at a high level. But if, if they're going out and doing new drills every day and they're not good at them, then, you know, you can't really instill that belief that is required to, you know, compete to the best of their abilities. Exactly. And what I've done these past couple of years is I've developed kind of a system on, I want to make sure my boys know anywhere from 10 to 15, either specific drills, specific mentalities, or 15 skills. Let's just say 15 or so. Let's just give that number. And what will happen is, is after like the 10th time we've done something, the boys will start asking me, Coach, why do we got to do this one again? Why do we have to work on finishing again? Why do we want to work on this again? And I always ask them. I'm like, hey, guys, did Kobe Bryant, you know, rest in peace, but did Kobe Bryant become the, the best of where he was because he did one drill and then moved on to another drill? Or does he sit and practice and drain threes like a thousand times a day? And then you have to ask yourself, how many times a week does Kobe Bryant drain threes in practice or any professional player? Tiger Woods. Do you think he just walks up, hits one golf ball a day and just goes, man, yeah, does a stretch and then just goes and hits the showers? Like, no, Tiger. Exactly. It's reps. It's continuing. It's mastering the concept. And there's things that these are high school boys that don't really understand. But I know that I focus on things like, can I get them to master these few concepts with the time that I have with them and the skill that I'm at? And with kids who are, I have kids who play rec and I have kids who play high level club. I've had kids who were gone previously in academy. I mean, it's, you walk into a team of different levels, some kids with no experience, some with a lot. And it's like, can I truly try to sit yeah. here and teach them 400 concepts in one year? So it's, I've changed quite a bit those past couple of years when it comes to focusing on how I want our program to look and how I want, what I want them to learn. And the rest just what comes you, with that. Uh, what would you count as your biggest success at Bowie so far? I mean, winning games is great, but I think instituting a winning mentality is the best. And that's why I told you, I think from the, the get-go, my boys are not going to tell you I'm the greatest tactician on the planet. Like, I'm not Pep Guardiola running around up and down the field waiting for the cameras to be on me. Okay, so, but can I, at the end of the day, get them to run through a brick wall? And I think they would say yes, in my mind. I think they'd be able to say, like, yes, coach can motivate me to play. And <clears throat> it was kind of like uh, a joke about it being the Jurgen Klinsmann approach. It was up to the World Cup. He kept saying, <clears throat> he kept saying, we're not going to make it. We're not good enough. We don't have the talent. We don't have the depth. And then after he made it through, when they asked him, he said, I booked my travel for after the tournament. And it was kind of like joking with people where it was like telling everybody we're not going to make mm -hmm. it. But deep down, he probably knew we could have made it. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know much about him, but I joke calling it the Jurgen Klinsmann approach. I don't know if that's truly his approach or not. But it was stuff that I saw. It was constantly, hey, we're not going to make it. And then I go, oh, by the way, I, uh, I booked my travel for after. 
you know, or with these boys, with high school boys, is <laughs> you tell them to focus, you tell them to focus. And then when it comes down to that moment and they're like, coach, did you know we were going to win? I was like, yeah. But like, why didn't you say that? Or something like that. You know, it's questions like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I know. You got, I know what you we're going to do. You got to be the light, you know, for know. the so team. So, you know, your, your energy, the team's energy is dictated by your energy. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a yep. kind of a way for you to control the narrative, control the, the, uh, the, the atmosphere within the team. So, um, yeah, that's good. You know, that, that winning mentality that I would, I would definitely, you know, obviously that has been the ignition to, you know, the victories and, and the district championships. So, you know, that is the success that, that led to the success that you see on the surface. What do you hope to accomplish with, you know, obviously it's unfortunate now that you guys, uh, you know, are in the situation that you're in, but going forward, you know, what, what do you hope to accomplish with Bowie? What, what are, what are the next uh, goals that you guys are after? So this group actually broke some of the goals that I had recently. And the reason I say that is we'd never won a district championship in program history. And then for years, our program had actually not made playoffs two years in a row. So to put this into perspective, and when I took over in 2013, 2014, the last time they made playoffs was 2010. And the time before that was 2007. And the time before that was like 03. And there was like, I don't know, it was never consecutive years of playoff appearances. So what happened was in 2017, we made it to the fourth round. And then what was happened is, and I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But that following year, we had an even better team. Went undefeated in preseason. When we got to district, we had five failures to grades. And what happens is that killed our season. We lost that final part of the district, and we didn't make it to playoffs. We were actually one game away from making playoffs. But what happened was I had talked to that group the following year. So this was last season. And I said, guys, I put up – I sat them down, and I said, listen, here's, here's our record from 2017. We made it to the fourth round. Here's our record from 2018. And the only difference was one game. It was almost the exact same record, but one group made playoffs, the other did not. And I wanted to ask you, how can you have the almost same record and not make playoffs? And then how is it you could have gone undefeated and this and this and that, and how did you not make it? And what happened was that group last season made it to the fourth round second for the second time in three years, even though the team before them didn't even make it at all. So what happened is, in my mind, that group lost to Flower Mound. In X double extra time, final death PKs on the tenth PK got saved. Talk about in Flower Mound one state. So, yeah. So I, I I still cry at night a little bit every time I think about it. But the long story is that group started back the mentality in my mind because it was we made it to the fourth round. We made program history. That was fantastic. And then the next group just kind of dropped the ball. And I, and I can't explain how. And I look back as, as a leader, and I try to figure out, was this my fault? Did I not have them ready? What did I make the mistake of? And I learned a lot from that year. And then that following year, I made sure 100% I made 
those mistakes would not happen again. That group made it again to the fourth round. And then this year, I had told the players beforehand, I said, guys, we've never made playoffs two years in a row. We've never won district. And my boys could, like, 100% back me up on this. As I sat on before district, and I said, guys, we are going to go 16-0. and And then Ooh. we ended up going 15-1, and which really made me mad. All right. So I, I joked with them. I, one kid made a joke during that meeting. I blamed him. I said, it's your fault. We lost that one game. But anyways, um, we ended up going 15 and one in district. Actually, sorry. We're 15. Oh, hold on. Sorry. We're 14 and one right now. And we have one more game left. We would be 15 and one. So realistically, we could have gone 16 and 0. We messed up one game. We didn't. But it was in my mind. I sat up in front of them. I said, we are going to do this. And then we broke the number of goals scored, our winning record. We broke the two-year drought of never having playoffs two years in a row. And so now, if if inevitably this season doesn't work out at all, the following year, I want to tell them, that guys, we are Mm -hmm. a playoff program. Playoffs should be the standard. That should be 100%. There is no looking back. There is no other standard. And that's something I want to instill in them because now that we've seen the success, it's not that lofty dream. And so in my mind, the next yeah. step for this program is playoffs every year. And you hear it and I hear other coaches that are like, oh, well, we've made playoffs for like the 13th year in a row. And I'm just like, that's, that's exactly what I want to be able to, to say. That's what makes, you know, the great uh, dynasties in sports so special is the fact that they're able to just maintain that motivation <clears throat> and the professionalism to come out and and – want to get even better the next year, you know, regardless of the players that actually make up the team. But, you know, being able to maintain that motivation after getting a taste of it, obviously, you know, in y'all's situation, you you haven't accomplished everything, so there's still more to achieve, and so there's still that desire. But, um, you know, it's still the same concept, right? You're still taking those baby steps and pushing that standard a little bit higher and a little bit higher. So looking back, you know, exactly. over the last uh, six years, um, what have been the biggest challenges you faced in building the culture with the, the team and, and, you know, how did you overcome those challenges? I will say, actually, some of the best stuff I've learned has been through mistakes. And you don't know that until after you get used to the culture you're getting becoming a part of. And then you try things as a coach. And as a young new coach, I tried things and quickly realized, like, no, that's a terrible idea. Um, And I have and I can admit all day, every day that I made mistakes as a coach. I know that most people aren't willing to admit that. I made the best decision at the time, but then realized like that was a terrible decision or I shouldn't have done that. And most of what I've learned is through mistake. And I know that I've had success, but a lot of, I learned more from my mistakes yeah, than that, I've learned that from really my success. That really should apply to everyone. You know, so hopefully most people view their mistakes the same way, but a lot of people let their mistakes completely break them. But yeah, learning from mistakes is, is crucial. So how 
what what are some of the mistakes that you've made specifically and then you know what changes did you make to i guess reverse the effect well i these past couple years i i read (laughs) and i'm sorry i'm terrible with book names but um, his name is jocko he's a navy seal and he wrote um, he wrote some leadership books, and uh, hopefully he doesn't <laughs> listen to your podcast, and he'll know that I didn't one? remember the name. But um, no, it's um, okay. the dichotomy nice. of leadership. Okay, there we go. I remembered. It. There we go. Uh, it's the dichotomy of leadership, and he has another book I have I haven't read just yet. But he talked about how you know when he everything about his story was being a Navy SEAL. And he, he talks to businesses now and he does motivational speeches, these kinds of things. And the biggest thing that I learned, the biggest mistake in my mind was that 2018 group that didn't make playoffs after that 2017 group, even though in my mind they were mm. up until that point, the best team we'd had. And what happened was I, I questioned myself and I said that a few minutes ago in the podcast, but it was, Long story, it's I read that book and one of the questions he had is if your either your players, your employees or whatever, if your players fail, that is a sign of leadership on your end. If they fail, Absolutely. you should question what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? And if you're not questioning that, then that means you're not really truly prepared. And so in my mind, that 2018 group was a shot to me. It was it shocked me to think we had success going forward and we failed. How is that possible? How is it? You know, I just I didn't know how. And after thinking back on the season, there was stuff that I noticed where I don't know how to I guess to put this the best way in words. But if things seem too good to be true, then they're actually too good to be true. And I feel like you have to have adversity to go forward. And I noticed one thing that happened with that group is actually, and I know this sounds weird, but it was like that year felt robotic as if it flew through without personality. Okay. And I have boys that I loved and and they'd probably listen to this and be like, what are you talking about? And I was like, they're great kids. They work hard. But what happened was it almost felt like that group was robotic. In other words, they knew they wanted to succeed, but whether or not they were in it is different. And it's kind of hard as a coach. You can see these things as the coach and not necessarily as the player or as somebody on the outside. You can see it on the inside. If you know how to read kids, you can read it. But I noticed that it was, are they having fun? Are they running through walls? And some of them were, but there are others that were not. And you don't really notice that sometimes while you're getting the going, but you think about it later. And so in my mind, there were two major things that I've had to go forward. And this is something as a leader, a lot of coaches, and maybe I need to meet some more and ask them what they do. But in like, say study hall and at Bowie, we have a grades issue. And a lot of schools have grades issues where we're, our grades are due in a week from now. And we have 14 varsity players failing or nine failing or five failing or something like that. And so you panic and you're just like, all right, let's study hall. 
And what happens my first couple of years, we're like, all right, let's sit the kids down, give them a chance to do their work. But if you just sit high school boys yeah, down yeah. and expect them to do their work, they don't. High school, right? High school girls will, but not high school boys. So what happens, you have to get creative in terms of how you do this. And I and I've make this mistake all the time. I'm like, well, we'll just sit them down and do some study hall. But that's not the right approach with these boys. You have to guide them. Yeah. Because you can't assume they know what to do. And so something I've done was I started building, I started trying to do my best to find kids who in a program of about 75 to 80 kids, a majority of them are actually taking a lot of the same classes. But you found that a lot of these kids didn't even have each other's numbers. Some of them didn't even talk to each other on social media. How can some teammates not be in connect? You know, how can they not connect with each other and make sure that they have their grades? You know, it's like, oh, I have that teacher. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, how'd you not know that? And so it's, there's small things that you have to do to start getting these kids established. I can't, you know, in college, I'm not sure where, um, what your coach did, but it was like you had mandatory study hall and you'd show up at like maybe 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 4 p.m. or whatever it is. But in high school, you can't tell a kid to come up to the high school at 9 p.m. to do study hall. It just doesn't really work that way. So you have to get more creative. You have to make sure that they have the tools to succeed. And that's something as a leader, if you just assume they're going to do it, you've lost. And so that's something we have to get better at and to use resources. You know, I started gathering up some teachers in our building that I know are there in a content area, but they don't teach that specific student. And I would have some of them go see them just for extra help. You know, it's things like that. You have to help guide these kids because you can't assume they're going to do it. So as a leader, you have to recognize if this kid fails, 100%. it is a reflection of you. And yes. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, some people are going to say it's all on the kid. And I, it's, you're actually both right. As a leader, it reflects on you. And then it also reflects on the student. Because if they're not willing to give everything they can to, to make sure they play, then what else are they not putting forth the effort towards? Well, you know, it's... Things like that. There's lessons We're all, all in around. charge of our own life. But that's you one of the I things mean? I so focus on. For you, your perspective is it's my responsibility. Right. For the player, their perspective is not, oh, it's coach's fault. No, it's it's their responsibility, you know, to take care of their own stuff. So yeah, you're hundred percent right on that. Correct. And um, you know, it it's 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 good to hear you talk about that kind of stuff because that's a challenge, you know, that I'm facing right now being in quarantine, trying to keep my players active and engaged. Um, we've been, you know, doing a lot of um, uh, Zoom meetings, you know, setting up one of those once a week, you know, to make sure they stay connected with each other. And I've created a little competition with my players to make sure they're getting their required training in every week. And so by doing that, you know, by by kind of thinking outside the box, not just telling them they have to get this training done by, but by, you know, creating the competition for them, not only am I, you know, creating more of an incentive for them to do the work, but now I'm forcing them to uh, stay connected socially as well. You know, so same thing you were talking about, like they all, all of a sudden we're setting up little group chats, like, you know, getting each other's numbers so that they could uh, talk to each other and, and, and um, you know, create uh, workouts that they can share with each other and stuff like that. So, and then the other thing we're doing too is creating those online training videos for them, which is, you know, fantastic. 
a fantastic tool for them to be able to be actually coached through this time. So hearing you talk about that kind of stuff is, I mean, it's, it's, it's coaching is the same as teaching and, and, and you, you face a lot of those same kinds of challenges and problems. Exactly. And that's one thing I like about high school coaches and that we talk about it all the time and you can debate the merits of it, but is as a high school coach, uh, I'm focusing on the well-rounded athlete completely. I'm focusing on his academics, how he is as a person, dealing with his family, dealing with personal issues, and dealing with a lot of other things. And I'm not downplaying club by any means, but I know a lot of club coaches, there's some that focus on their kids' academics, and Mm -hmm. there's some that'll never ask them an academic question if their life depended on it. So it's like, are you you focused on their well-being? You know, 95% of high school athletes don't go on to play at the next level. So it's like, or sorry, 95% of students don't go on to play, you know, or sorry, 5% of high school athletes go on to the next level. So it's something to think about. 95% of the kids roughly in my building and roughly 90% or more of my soccer boys are not going to go on to play at the next level. So when they graduate high school, are they truly prepared to go on to the next stage in life? Are they prepared to go to college? Are they prepared to know how to manage their life, you know, going forward? You know, it's so it's things that we are invested in them as a whole. And there are some parts of club and there's even some high school coaches that do it, too. But it's, they're not invested with the kid as a whole. They're sure. invested with them to play their game and do their thing. And that's something as a high school coach, we see a lot more with our kids. Yeah. And I joke with this. I see my soccer boys more than I do my wife. I spend like nine months with them, like two to three hours a day, roughly. In some parts, when we're in season, I spend even more. So I see my wife at home a couple hours a night and then on the weekends, assuming I'm not in a tournament or something's going on. So I just kind of joke. I see them more than I see my family. And so that, yeah, a lot of people don't really think about it. Even they don't even think about it. And it is definitely a, a, a big commitment, you know, big time commitment there. But it's it's so re- rewarding, you know. I, I would like to get back into coaching high school, you know, just to experience it. Because like you were talking about earlier, it is just a different um, – it's a different feel. It, it's, it is a different game for sure, but just the, uh, the in- investment that you get from the players and – and, you know, it, it just means more to them, you know, and they have a, a really good time and those are memories that they cherish forever. So it's just a good time in general. And it's a good experience. Exactly. And I, I kind of wanted to bring this up and I, I wanted to talk about how right now high school soccer is kind of the on the back end of the importance when it comes to U.S. soccer or soccer in general in the country. And I want to talk a little bit about it because I'm not sure if your listeners know a whole lot about high school soccer or how many of them are involved. But there's a lot to talk about when it comes to high school soccer and and its development impact on kids. And and I wanted to – and I'll ask you some questions just to kind of test you. And then the question format too will be for some of your listeners – that way, just to kind of hear, but I know that asking you 
do you know who is like the overarching governing body of high school I soccer in this country? And I know that you told me recently, but I can't even remember from whenever you told me. So that just probably proves your point right there. <laughs> exactly. So FIFA has nothing to do with high school soccer at all. U.S. soccer has nothing to do with high school soccer. High school soccer is governed by the National Federation of High School Sports. It's NFHS. They are in charge of all high school sports. So a lot of people, they play in high school, and they don't even know who their NFHS is. They think a lot of kids who are playing club and high school assume it's just like a local rule or somebody. But our rules are dictated by the NFHS. So, like, we play 40-minute halves. FIFA does 45. (laughs) For some reason, NFHS feels like playing 40s. They sent out a survey, like, three or four years ago asking, would coaches be okay with a 45-minute half? And I'm pretty sure people picked 45. (laughs) Like, yeah, for sure, let's do 45. And then they didn't change the rule. So, like, those are rules dictated by them. High school referees have to get a separate certification through NFHS to ref high school rules. Because there is completely separate rules on the high school level. It's very similar to the NCAA rules. But NFHS, if you go look at their board of directors, there is no soccer representation on their board of directors. It's all old football, retired, maybe baseball, and some other sports, volleyball, this kind of so stuff. What do they do? There's no soccer representation in, in NFHS. Well, they dictate all the rules for high school sports. And they set the precedent and they set the rules and they set the guidelines. And then this is why a lot of people, I hear a lot of coaches get mad at us soccer saying they're not making an effort to bring in high school soccer. And there's a lot to this debate that I could bring up, but I'll try to pick a few points here is one is we all know that us soccer is in it to make money with, with the NFHS, they control everything. So U.S. soccer would have no control, in my mind, over high school soccer. And the reason why I bring this up is this. NFHS controls it. Next level down of the bureaucracy, as I call this, is like UIL. It's the state governing body. So NFHS sets rules, dictates. The next level is the state sports association. So we have UIL. They then dictate when it's played how often it's played, and they follow the rules. Now, in UIL, do you think UIL is full of soccer representation? (laughs) Me either. And I'm a betting man. So next is that. So you got the state body. They determine what's next, which they put us at the coldest time in Texas, conveniently, even though it's sunshine and warmer weather for about nine to ten months a year. I'll let that slide. All right, that is so a pretty brutal part about high school. You've soccer. gone through the NFHS. <laughs> it's nice at times, uh, and then until you have that night where it's like 35 like, and it hasn't broken the cold weather policy you know, and it's raining. On a stadium and yeah, those are the nights for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you question why you still do it sometimes, but yes. Uh, <laughs> so. Going through this bureaucracy, we've gone through NFHS, we've gone through UIL now. Now let's think about it. We've broken through the state. Now we're down to the, to the school district level. And you have to think, like, something like Texas, 
where we have two A's and three A's and four A, five A, six A. You've got school districts all around the state. Some have soccer, most have soccer, and some don't. So now you have to break through, like, does the school even offer soccer? Do they have enough schools that could even hire a soccer coach? And even so, if they hire the soccer coach, is he truly qualified to be a soccer coach? Does he have the certifications? Has he played? Is he whatever? Then the next level down is what facilities do they have? Do they have good facilities? Do they have turf? Do they have some grass? Do they have dirt that looks like grass? You know, and then whether or not that soccer coach even has the backing or the support to even try to run a legitimate program to teach the sport. And so what happens is you have all these levels of bureaucracy from the NFHS to the state UAL to the school district to the school itself and whether or not you can even hire a soccer coach, which for years was just given to a football coach who generally just dropped the ball bag down and just said, hey, go play. So in U.S. soccer's mind, there is not mm. much in those levels that they can control. And with the club side, with FIFA, they go straight down through the state associations for a club, and those implement FIFA rules, and then they put the state license or they put the, the coach's license yeah, and they, and they implement everything. their standard and their control and their money. And exactly. And they can control that because it's outside of the school districts. It's outside huh. of government. It's outside of the state bodies and it's outside of the NFHS. So there is a, there's a big bureaucracy, even if us soccer partnered with NFHS, which would be great. Like they, Hey, announced the partnership to make high school soccer better. That'd be fantastic. The hard part is they could put in those rules, but if a school district in Texas or in another state doesn't even want to hire a soccer coach or doesn't have one or any of the above, then them partnering so only helps the ones that do. So ultimately, in my mind, you know, we need that. Everyone's just on their own. Go ahead. You don't really have a, a governing body. Yeah, there's there's a placeholder for it, but they're not really doing anything to support or or push or grow the game, grow the high school game specifically, are they? The, the, the individuals who are making Uh it better are, is like TASCO, the Texas association of soccer coaches, and then also United soccer coaches. Um, They are actually in my mind, the two, well, let's say Texas is TASCO, but, and there's United no, soccer coaches is the no, best organization that you know, fights for high school relationship soccer. between them the hard part. and FHS at all. I'm not sure on that high level, if they coordinate at all, I'm pretty sure there's probably some yeah. communication and some working. I'm not up to that high level to be honest with you, but um, United soccer coaches generally partners with every state coaches association and they offer licenses, they mm-hmm. offer educational courses, I mean, drills and everything you could need. And I don't know about the NFHS side, to be honest with you, but I gotcha. don't think it's like some massive so what coordinated are some things level like between the changed? two. Well, I would like to see what's kind of being pushed on the, and this is a wish list, of course, but... From from the NCAA level, you know how they're trying to push for the all-year-round season to where 
they're trying to, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but they're trying to push to where right now college soccer is you start in August and you're basically done in November and you just push through games, push through travel, knock it out. And right. if you win the national championship, you're done in December. But then as you and I both know is in the spring semester, you're basically on your own as a soccer player. You're like, Hey, work out. Good luck. We'll meet on occasion. We got a couple games in the spring. Sweet. Uh, so like in my mind, the wish list, I would love to see high school soccer played year round in some form or fashion. The hard part is we have obviously a club dilemma and then we have high school dilemmas, but I would like to be able yep. to be able to compete for most of the year in my mind. Uh, it needs to be a nine to 10 month platform. We could essentially create what the Academy did for the U S development Academy. We could create something similar at the high school level. Imagine kids going to school they have access to generally have access to a weight room, athletic facilities, mm. a coach, and resources to play and compete. And you could have one game a week for months, similar to the academy. You could have two games a week for months. But what we do right now is games start January 2nd. You shove as many tournaments as you can for two to three yeah. weeks, which is three to four games a week, which is horrendously unhealthy. And then you just jump into district. And you play two games a week until you go to playoffs until it's done. And realistically, you play re- you play almost almost roughly thirty games yeah. in a two to three month span, and that's a lot back to back, real quick in the elements, at least here in Texas. So it's, I mean, it's we really have to come up with a better system to make sure our kids are playing enough competitive games while also not being well, just brutally murdered in a, a very spe- you know, period of time. Ross. And I think that would uh, flip the whole soccer scene on its head, put the emphasis back on high school soccer. You know, it'd be a good time for it with the DA collapsing. That'd be certainly possible. And it's something to think about in terms of right now, there's a big debate about obviously in club, you have to pay. And some clubs have horrendous fees, some don't. And some are very affordable and offer great services. Some are expensive and also offer great services. I mean, club helped me, it helped you, it helped all of us. It was a part of the process. But the hard part is today, not everybody has a couple grand they can throw out on a good club team. So it's, let's give each kid an option. If we have athletic facilities and we all pay taxes then we have some sort of avenue for some kids. It doesn't have to be a mall. But there is a great avenue to be able to play and compete on some level. And other ways that I think about it is imagine maybe we don't change the timeline. Maybe we still play those same couple of months and we do our thing. But imagine if we could somehow come up with like our own high school academy in some form or fashion to where we partner with clubs to where our kids in specific areas can play for specific teams and compete outside. I mean, there's there's good partnerships you can do and then help each other with facilities. You know, I've tried to think of ways where, you know, FF Premier, I would love, I'm not really in your area in Arlington, but it's like there are some UPSL teams that like I could have them play their games at my field and try to um, build a partnership to where they can use our field for games and maybe we set up concessions to make money. I mean, clubs could use some of our fields on weekends. We set up concessions to make money. You know, it's and there, there's, there's just various ways we can work together 
and I don't know if you've heard this, but there are a lot yeah. of girls DA games and even some which, boys. They have high schools which as their is backup sites to me because they can't play on the grass. And and you, you know, know it's like that's kind of the thought process that I had in mind whenever you were talking about originally is a a similar format to the DA structure, like take away DA. Now the emphasis is back on high school, and you basically have like like little national teams all over the place based on where you live, you know what I mean, where you're from. You go and play for for the school that, that and you right. represent them. That that's your school. You you don't have really a choice, just like you don't really have a choice of what nationality you are. Um but yeah, a big challenge right now in in the right. Dallas soccer community is field space, accessibility. And there's tons of fields, you know, I don't think there's a shortage of fields yep. actually. Uh, the problem is most of them are private and they're inaccessible. So, you know, I have a spreadsheet of over 75, you know, different school districts, colleges, uh, or junior colleges and universities, high schools, middle schools that have some sort of like playing surface that we would potentially be able to play an FF premier game on. And out of all of those organizations, right. you know, and I'm talking even like uh, private facilities and, and, and sports complexes like that are owned by the city out of all 75 of those choices, I probably had five that responded back with any kind of availability at all. And that's just crazy to me. Like how, how are we not able to, you know, like that, that literally prevents us from operating at all. So why are we not helping each other? There there's fields there, you know, they're turf. They're not going to be damaged by us being on them. Why are high schools not working with clubs more? Because that's, that's Mm -hmm. the number one response that I get is, Oh, we don't work with clubs. We don't, you know, we don't work with adult organizations or we don't work with, you know, this or that. And there's always something. So why do you think that a lot of these high schools aren't opening their doors for clubs to and, and working with them? There's a couple of things. One, school right. districts generally have rules about allowing people to use field space. So there, there's the bureaucratic side of it. Um, there's another side of right now, honestly, their high school coaches and club coaches have always butted heads. And unless you're somebody who's in both or you know people who are in both or you're kind of involved, is you generally don't trust – a lot of high school coaches don't always trust a lot of club coaches for a couple of reasons. One – is they might let them use their field and use their equipment, and then the equipment breaks. And then it's like, well, who pays for this? Technically, the high school would have to pay out of their budget. Athletics would have to pay out of budget, these kinds of things. There's kind of some liability involved. And, I mean, I, I'll say this. I've made, I made a mistake once of contacting a club coach on one of my players, and I didn't ta- contact the kid's parents first. And I made that mistake a while back, and I regretted it to this day. But I also have had multiple club coaches of my players reach out to me and tell me I do not want him lifting weights at all. 
And I'm like, you're, you're telling me to tell this kid he's not going to lift. And I want to also like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. So it's, it's very much adamant. My boys have even told me that some of their club coaches would even tell them, um, don't practice on these days. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then I even tell my guys sometimes, and I'm very lenient. My boys know this. If they have a club game, I'm not going to force them to go do squats in the weight room or anything like that. If I know they're about to play on set, we never lift generally on hardcore Thursdays and Fridays because I know they have games coming up on the weekends. I'm very lenient with them and their club because I don't want to hurt them and I don't want to push them to some crazy level and just whatever. It's we're having practice and you're part of this team. You go and compete with us. I know you have club. I know you're going to get scouted. I'm here to help you in any way that I can. But I've never truly worked with any of their club coaches. And a lot of it is it's ego. And a lot of it is I don't trust you. And there's some of them have good stories and some don't. I mean, yeah. we have kids who go to a high school of a football coach as their soccer coach. And it's does he really truly have their development in mind right no so of course that club coach is not going to trust those kids soccer or football coach so it's it's we have to get better at communicating and a lot of it is ego and attitude and then field space is not always dictated by the soccer coach himself i know that our facilities are generally off limits for most outside organizations i'd have to probably get special approval to partner with somebody but at least try for it you know, if you can make a few bucks over the summer or even in the fall uh, that doesn't conflict with football schedules, then try it. Try to partner with some teams. Maybe you can make yeah, some money on concessions well. I mean, or even tickets. I don't know. Try it. to get you creative gotta, in ways that you, you know, can do so it. So might as well just try and bring in a few extra bucks. And that's always been kind of the approach that I'll take with with uh, school districts um, because – you know, we really aren't able to deal directly with the schools and the coaches at all. But it seems like there are some situations where the coaches do have more control over their fields. Um, but then there are just some school districts that are like, nope, nothing on these fields. Like, you know, we don't even want to talk to you. Like, but then you know, DISD, they've got a, a website where yeah. you can literally go in and request reservations for you know their athletic facilities any of their athletic facilities in the whole district so it's like just kind of weird i don't i don't understand why some some groups are so stingy about it yeah it just depends i mean we have to remember that schools and the facilities are paid by taxpayers so there's a level of scrutiny of how much money they can spend and how much they're allocated for things like sports. In Texas, here we we have sports facilities that offer an education, and there's other parts of the country where it's an educational facility yeah. that offers sports. So it's uh, it kind of varies, but it's just kind of a joke. But it's uh, it just varies on who is willing to give access. You know, like a lot of school districts, if you go to their field, say you want to walk around the track, they'll have signs that'll say you can walk on the track, but if you step on the field, you can be removed, stuff like that. So it's, they're trying to protect their investment and taxpayer dollars and the opportunity for the kids. And I'll tell you a funny story. And the reason why this is our field one time, and there's been numerous stuff that I could think of, but somebody got like a dirt bike on our turf field and revved the tire 
for so long and so whatever they burnt an entire like i don't know like a no couple way. foot dis- distance of turf they literally burnt it it came right off and people damage these things all the time the community kids yep. whoever um I mean, it's they completely destroy it, and somebody has to pay for it. So there's a lot of scrutiny with the community too. Of hey, we got this nice new field. Yeah. Oh, somebody just burnt a it's hole. It's definitely Congratulations. a challenging Thanks. situation. Never mind. You Take everybody protect, off. You know your investment. So it's obviously the first priority is the students of the school. So you know that should be taken into account. But I just I wish that there was just more of a open line of communication between the schools because. Man, in in you know, go, uh, going on our seventh year of business. This is it. This is our seventh year of business now. Uh, it's just, it's it's crazy how I have struggled to develop any kind of real school relationships during that time, and I have made a genuine effort to do so. Um, but you know, I think that it's important that we figure out ways to work together. No, I agree completely. And there, we we've all got to drop our egos. We all got to stop with <clears throat> wanting, you know, X, Y, and Z. We have to come together for the kids in some form or fashion. And I think that there is an easy way to do that. Uh, it's <clears throat> it's just getting better in the community. Guys have to drop their egos sometimes, and it's just hey, sit down, have a conversation. And like the coach that talked to me about their players like not lifting weights. It wasn't a call and like, hey, coach. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to work yeah. with you. It was a text message of, I don't want my players lifting weights. Don't let this player lift weights. Nope. It wasn't like a casual thing. It was like, I'm telling you what to do. Yeah. No, and my response was like, right, in, you know, in, you're in not going to tell me what way. to do. I don't even know who you are. So. Well, right. man, it's been over an hour now. We've right. had a really good discussion. I appreciate you sharing all of, you know, the uh, insights about how you develop the culture at, at Bowie, I thought that was very, very interesting. And uh, hopefully the listeners got something out of it. But um, uh, before we, you know, wrap up, I just had a few more questions that I wanted to ask you. And, and um, you know, we talked about kind of the challenges that you face and and okay. um, the, the critical thinking that you applied to overcome those challenges, you know, in terms of uh, – uh, building the cohesiveness and the, the chemistry on the team and dealing with challenges of, you know, boys not getting the grades they need. You know, that's that's a whole challenge in itself. Um, but, you know, obviously everyone faces different types of challenges in their lives. Why do you think that whenever people face challenges, they're not able to overcome them? That's a really great question. And I, I try to look at my mentality and there's a couple of things is I don't know if some people are just willing to take the long road or the hard road. I think a lot of people might be looking for the easy way out and I can't say I'm perfect in that, in that realm, but I know I've never been a part of something that I didn't feel gave everything they could to compete and win in everything, whether it's business, friendships, everything is you have yeah. to have this understanding that you have to give everything to compete. And I know that sounds easier said than done, but I know as an athlete, and maybe for you too, 
is, is it is not possible for me to step on the soccer field at all, whether it's pickup with some soccer boys or a Sunday league. I will literally give everything I have mm-hmm. in some form or fashion. When I step on that field, it is a whole different world. And I think like that is a harder mentality to give people. And it's that translated into my life. And I think being around people that I'm around is they yeah, people who know good, me man. know that yeah, I'm committed. I mean, obviously, like we said and before, it's just you know, always like, been that way. Play, play, you know, what's the point in going out there and not giving your best? So that can apply to anything in life. Like if you're going to do something, you might as well do it to the best of your abilities. Exactly. And you have to just understand that, you know, whatever it is you're doing, they're going to be little obstacles in the way that you just have to overcome. So, you know, if you're committed to it, then that's, that's, that's all that really matters. Like commit to it and then just compete with yourself. You know, you're not competing necessarily with other people. You are in a sense, but you're really just competing with yourself to get better. And if, if, if you're pushing your own boundaries, then, then that's all you can really ask for. Exactly. And I try to tell this to my boys, I've told it to other people, is if you go out in the field and you give everything yeah. you had, literally everything, and you lost, it's going to happen. You could go out and give everything and you could win. Right? It's in life, you yeah. have to give everything 100% regardless of the outcome. Right. You could do everything in the world and still not come up with the win or come up sure. short. You know, you could you could try really hard to date a girl, but it doesn't mean you're going to win her over. You know, it's you could try really hard to make a business successful, and you know, you gave everything you could, and maybe it didn't work out. Because that's the only but way you have a chance. You go forth with that regardless exactly. so, of how it you ends. Know, if, you, if you want something, you have to try your hardest. Yep. You have no shot. What is your definition of greatness? Yep, exactly. <laughs> oh, hey, you're putting me on the spot there. I feel like I'm being interviewed right now. All right. Um, so in terms of a definition of greatness, it's you don't have to master something to be, in my mind, completely great at it. <laughs> but honestly, don't it put this don't. on the podcast because I'm going to mess it up. But <laughs> edit this one out. But in terms of great, in terms of greatness, I don't, just be humble hey, and be great at what you me. do. You know, like and that's that's pretty much that's what it, it comes down to. Like, know who you are, stay true to yourself, and just try to be the best version of yourself. That's ultimately what greatness is. So, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? You know, when you're exactly just getting into club, maybe it was going off to college and playing there, or maybe it was just getting into coaching. You know, what, what, what do you know now that you wish you would have known back then? The biggest thing for me as a player or even just as a younger self was I made the right decisions at that time because I felt they were the best. But I was not as mentally tough as I thought I was. And I could go on the field and give everything. But there would be a decision maybe off the field that I wasn't as confident in because I didn't know. Or something else in life or something that I thought I was making a good decision. But I didn't have the mentality I thought I did. And 
maybe for some yeah. athletes, the example I'll give you is making that leap from club to college <laughs> is completely different. It doesn't matter if you play high school. It doesn't matter if you play high level club Yeah, to go from club to college is a whole new level that I remember being cocky and thinking I'm fine. I got this because up until that point I was fine and I could have got through it. But then you enter that new level and you have to have a whole different mentality to compete at the college level. You have to have a whole new mentality to compete on the professional level. And that, you know, as a lot of athletes know, a lot of soccer guys is those first two weeks are so brutal yeah. because you weren't prepared and you don't know that until you get there. So in my mind, if I could have gone yeah. back in time and found my older self, I would have said, you are not ready. You are not understanding what you're about to get yourself into. And I learned the hard way, which, again, you learn through mistakes. And so what, what would but you have done differently? Those maybe? are the times where you're just like, you didn't know. And Well, a lot of people know yeah. that that first summer between high school and college, you don't generally work out yeah. as much as you say you do. And I know that I would have pushed myself on a completely different level. Everybody knows in fitness, we all make excuses. To this day, I make <laughs> excuses. You're like, oh, I should run today. But like, oh, I'm sorry. I guess the sun's out. I guess I'm not going to run. But it was stuff like that. Like, oh, I ran this week. I'll be good. You know, so for me, mostly it was about fitness yeah. and mentality when it came to going yeah, into college uh, or just being ready in general. To anything, just That's being ready for the, the next level of life. You know, you're always going to, you're always going to find yourself stepping up to new levels and, and usually those present bigger and, and greater challenges. And every time you take that next level, you got to also level up as a person to be able to handle those challenges that are going to come your way. All right, Brandon. So um, how can people get exactly with you? You know, uh, if they want to hear more about your story or, you know, maybe they're interested in, in the program that you have at Bowie. What's a good way to pe for people to get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach out to me on social media if you need. Uh, my Twitter handles bvoss v o s s five three two, and uh, on Facebook you can search Brandon Voss. I'm not a big social media buff, but you can find me there, and you can message me, send me a DM if you want to talk and. I'd love to, to be able to talk more or, you know, if anybody, if I said something wrong, by all means, let me know. And uh, if I said something right, give me some thumbs up, <clears throat> but I'm more than willing to talk with people. I, I love having well, that's debate, why we're doing healthy this show, man. debate so, yes, guys, about a lot of these things and ways we can move forward please, and work together. Please do reach out if you like it, if you don't like it, whatever, let us know um, and help us spread the word. So Brandon, one last question. What message would you like to leave people with? The one thing I would say and what I've found in coaching in my mind is to keep things simple, be humble, give everything you have in all aspects of life sound, honest, and good things will happen right to you. And that's my message. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Well, thanks again, Brandon. Guys, thanks for listening. Very scientific. Um, tell you that much. We'll have another guest on the show next week. Appreciate your time. Thanks for keeping us company and we will catch you next time. Peace.